Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Howlin' Hoops podcast. I'm Kyle, and uh, joining with me today again is my co-host, Tom. We, uh, we're, we've got a big uh, action-packed episode for you here today, filled with lots of games to cover. It's going to be a good one. Tom, what do you got to say to the people? Um, hey, everyone. I mean, yeah, we're going to go ahead and cover the three games from the past week, Charleston Southern, Vanderbilt, BYU. And then we're going to preview um, the two upcoming games this week but uh, against Ole Miss and Boston College. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Before we do get into it, I just wanted to uh, wish everybody, hopefully they had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Tom, I hope you did the same. Um, yep. I know you got a, a special uh, victory from the NC State uh, football team on Saturday. So I'm sure everybody that's a Pack fan is in high spirits. Oh, absolutely. We love to see it. We love to see it. So, so let's get into it. So Friday, November 17th, we played Charleston Southern, kind of cruised to a 87-53 victory there. Um, we love kind of to see us solidifying a good win, pushing into what was the Las Vegas showdown, which we'll get into later in this episode. But kind of seeing us, you know, develop more and more, get some more chemistry going for us. Uh, we had a lot of people in double figures. Um, Dennis Parker Jr. came off the bench. He provided a good uh, few minutes. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's a game that you should win. We did. one by 34. Um, yeah, DJ efficient. DJ Horn had a great game. Uh, Casey Marcel started showing some of that shooting touch, which came came over into the Las Vegas showdown. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a good win. It was a good one. I one thing I kind of saw from early on in the game was that even though we didn't have like a great three point shooting percentage, I feel like Keats's teams in the past have really relied on being that live or die by the three. But in that game, I did not feel that we were forcing three pointers left and right. I think when we were open, we were taking those shots, but we weren't, you know, taking unnecessary pointers with like six seconds into the shot clock. We were moving the ball around, actually making good passes. And then if we needed to, or if we had a good open shot, we took it. I didn't feel like it was forced. And that was something I really liked seeing in our, in our offense in that game, especially because as that game kind of progressed, we, you know, built that team chemistry and that we didn't have to, you know, force anything. And that was a huge part of us kind of succeeding in victory and winning by a good margin. Yeah. And some of that, just comes from you know not having Turquavion as much as we as NC State fans like Turquavion he did take some questionable shots so yeah some of that like I said from not having him but yes I agree with you um defense played really well I mean any division one basketball team holding him to 50 53 points that's successful night held him to what for or um 39% from the field made him turn the ball over 22 times. That's what we want. Yeah. And even and 22 of those in 10 of those 22 turnovers we forced were in the first 10 minutes of the game, which is absolutely absurd, but mm-hmm. absurd in an awesome way. Yeah. And that was really cool to see. Um, I have another one thing that that also really stood out to me was DJ Horn, you know, he had a good game against Charleston Southern. He showed a little bit of um, Jarkel Joyner in him, where his ability to create shots off the dribble through anywhere from the mid-range and extended, that game really was a testament to how good of a player he is and how much he can help us in those little maybe lulls where – Sometimes we would have last year and Jarkel would, you know, create his own shot and get a mid-range bucket or get a three-pointer somewhere just by creating space and, 
you know, making sure that he gets a shot off. And I think DJ Horn showed that not only in this game, but in a few of the other games, I think as well. Um, And I think that could be a very, very positive thing for us. If we ever get into some lull, I think. Yeah. That you guys can rely on in that situation. That's one of the concerns that we had going into the year, you know, who's going to be the guy um, either end a shot clock Mm -hmm. or when we're struggling to score, who's going to be the guy to go and get us a bucket. And it's definitely going to be either him or Jaden Taylor. I think they both Mm -hmm. can do it. But another thing that, especially in in the Charleston Southern game that showed me of how good of a player DJ Horn is, is that not only did he score the ball efficiently, rebounded the ball, led the team in rebounds, um, had three assists, three steals. He's going to be able to do it. He's doing it all for us this year, and he's going to continue to do it all for us. He he really will. And and Dennis Parker, I mean, we were talking, you know, high about him in the first couple games. He This was kind of the first game where he took kind of a step up and showed that, you know, he's not just going to be a scorer, but he is going to be – a spark plug and he's going to be a guy that does the some of the little things where you know we're not going to rely on him to score 25 points a game but we're going to rely on him to get a couple blocks get a couple assists get a couple steals get a few of those defensive boards where you know we've probably not been the favorite in the rebounding category but in certain moments, in certain situations, him being that guy to get a offensive or defensive rebound, extending a play or not allowing second chance opportunities from our opponents, that's going to lead us into winning a lot of games this year. I agree. Um, Dennis does the little things, like you said, and in college basketball, every possession counts. So whether it's him getting a deflection that leads to a steal, whether it's him fighting on the boards on both ends. And, you know, the thing about that I like about it the most on the defensive end is that when he when he gets a rebound on the, on the defensive glass, he's a guy who can get it and go. He doesn't have to look for a guard. Mm-hmm. And that gives us tra- transition opportunities. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he looks the part as a Division one college basketball player. He does. And transition is our bread and butter. Wolfpack basketball is transition, transition, transition. Mm-hmm. All right. And next we can talk about the Vanderbilt game. Um, our first opportunity of playing a power five opponent um, in a neutral site, which is good. You know, we get an 84 to 78 win. Um, DJ, no, Dennis Parker actually ended up leading us in scoring and he did it all for us 18 and nine guys fantastic he is fantastic it's so fantastic you see those eight eight defensive boards so that definitely helped us in not you know letting other not letting Vandy get those second chance points and I mean he is actually I looked at this today he is our current team leading uh block shot person so he is actually leading the team in block shots per game which is actually kind of funny you think about it but so i mean since we've got we've got diara who's you know six nine six ten you know we got middlebrooks we have dj you know so well, we have guys that are rim protectors but a guy like dennis parker who's you know he might be six five but he is you know he's probably got a over a seven foot wingspan he's just he's so versatile over the entire part of the defense yeah and um diara had a nagging ankle injury apparently in that game so he only played seven minutes um and you know dennis getting the additional minutes the 33 minutes allows him to get more opportunities to use his length to block shots get deflections all those type of things you know Mm -hmm. yeah i would say we definitely started flat in that game we didn't look you know amazing granted you know it's basketball you're not always going to start off hot i mean i it's unheard of. I feel like the thing is, is it's about how you respond to when you start out flat. And I think our team did a really good job in, although we did not make a ton of shots to start the game. We, 
we just decided, hey, we're going to drive to the basket. And we kept driving to the basket, driving to the basket, not settling for jump shots, which is what we did early. And as soon as we started driving and creating contact, that's where we kind of started building our momentum and then ultimately kind of pulling away from Vandy a little bit where we were able to actually attack some of their zone defense and their man-to-man defense. Yeah, um, this game was the first game that we had and the only game we've had all year where DJ Burns has not been efficient. And it goes to show about things we've been talking about, about how balanced our scoring attack is. I mean, DJ did end up getting 13 points, but he took 18 shots to get there. Um, But you still had Jaden Taylor with 18. You had DJ Horn with nine. You had Casey with 12. And Dennis had 18. O'Connell had nine off the bench. And as a team, we shot the ball I mean, not great, but from the, from the three point line, we shot great, forty two percent. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just goes to show how balanced this team is. Yeah, and even you know, shooting the three pointer, you know, we started out shooting a lot and got our shooting percentage down a little bit, but then when we started driving and then kicking out, which we'll talk about later, which is with BYU. All they did was all we had to do was just drive to the basket, create people to come to us and then dish it out for an open three. You know, we're not going to make them all the time, but if you give yourself an opportunity with an open three pointer, it'll work out better in your favor than a contested shot with two seconds left in the shot clock and zero passes on the offense from what we've seen in previous years. Yeah. And another thing is, we also shot pretty well as a team from the free throw line as well. The, that Vandy game and even the Charleston Southern game, it was, we were both close to 80%. It's a, it's a solid, I mean, if we can keep that going all year long, anywhere from 70, let's say 73 to 78%. I think that will win us a ton of games this year. I feel like I've said it before, but you know, free throws are, so valuable when you think about college basketball and the right. momentum shifting that it does or the the gap it pulls away from you from other teams down the stretch you know it, it deflates another team when you're making a bunch of free throws because they feel like they can't send anybody to the free throw line anymore yeah i mean every every point counts and you know they call them free for a reason you need to make them um and yeah i mean Another thing is we we all right, we haven't talked about this yet, but uh Vanderbilt was missing their best player. Um, but they did get two guys back in that game, uh Van Lubin and um uh Tyron Lawrence, yeah, uh, who led their team in scoring. So it wasn't like they, you know, were missing this huge piece that could have completely changed the game, but it's worth noting. Yeah, it is worth noting because, you know, anything can happen. And I think we did match up pretty well against Vandy. They kind of cut that lead late in the game. We were up, I think, a little bit by a little bit more than what the final score showed. Um, Well, yeah, they hit all the threes at the end to cover the spread. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For all of our betting friends, that one must have hurt a little bit, but. Uh, do you have anything else on Vandy before we move on to BYU? Um, no, I, th- I think we can go on to BYU. That's the game that I want to talk about the most. Yeah, yeah, I think the BYU game is what you know the people want to hear. So the BYU game, unfortunate ninety five eighty six loss, but if you look at the stat sheet, you know our starters, it's a pretty balanced scoring from from all of our starters and you know with Casey our top score with 28 you had Jaden Taylor with 17 DJ Horn with 14 Burns had 16 I mean that's 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 a great lineup to have scoring a bunch of points and with that stat line you're looking at it and if you don't see the final score you're thinking oh how did we you know lose and then you know you look at the team we played and it's basically a mirror image of who we are a bunch of a, a team with a bunch of 
role players that got double figures just like we did. Uh, yeah. And, you know, big thing for me, one of my biggest, well, not concerns, but was when the uh, center for BYU got hurt, uh, Triore. Um, when he got hurt early in the game, I thought that completely changed the game. And the, my reasoning behind it was is that Ali Khalifa um, came off the bench, played 27 minutes. Uh, he killed us. He didn't score. He only had five points, but he was the reason that those shooters were getting open. I mean, it, it just was. And. I honestly think that if that center did not get hurt, we would have had a better chance of winning the game. DJ had a better matchup into the end of Triore and Khalifa brought him out of the paint and just kept dishing the ball to wide open shooters, wide open cutters. It's just something we hadn't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he definitely did. I mean, after DJ was not playing as close to the basket after that happened and it kind of affected the way we ran the offense. Cause we obviously want to put DJ a little bit closer to the basket. And then that way he can maybe see a little bit better and make a quicker pass out or finish at the, at the hoop easier. It was just, t- it just seemed like it made DJ a little uncomfortable. Like he uh... threw a couple shots here and there. Um, that kind of helped us stay in the game. And I just, but it, he just looked a, after what, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I totally agree with you. Khalifa just made him uncomfortable and then they would constantly double team him and it, it became a problem for a few minutes. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, um, you know, DJ having to defend on the perimeter more with Khalifa staying around the perimeter it takes more energy from him. Um, mm-hmm. And so on the offensive end, he got lazy. And that's one of my biggest like uh, gripes about him is that he doesn't fight for good post position. He just tries. He just wants the ball no matter where he gets it. And yes, he is one of the most efficient scorers in NC State history. But he is more prone to turnovers the farther away he is from the basket when he catches the ball. And although he's only uh, listed with two turnovers, when you are asking for the ball at the three-point line as a post player and you still can't get it because you're not fighting for a good passing angle for your guard and you're wasting uh, seven, eight seconds on the shot clock where we're trying to get in the ball and then you can't get it to him, that's just leading to poor shot selection uh as a team and you know i think we could have experimented with a lineup of um horn taylor morcel parker and diara late where on the offensive end you're spreading everybody out you're allowing for taylor to drive to the basket morcel to the drive drive to the basket uh parker to drive to the basket and then on the defensive end when you're facing a team who is head hunting for threes, you can switch everything Mm -hmm. and you don't allow guys to get stuck on a 260 pound screen by Khalifa. And it it just opens up everything on both ends. And, you know, I'm not the coach, but (laughs) I really think that Keats should have tried something different, even though DJ is who he is like he is one of our best players i just think it's something that we could have experimented especially when because i think it was like this the under eight timeout in the second half was when we started really losing it mm-hmm. I, I just feel like we could have tried something different to give us like a spark but you know hindsight's 2020 yeah i mean i feel like at this point in the season it's better for keats you know in our personal opinion we have this kind of a same opinion on this but in in my opinion, it's in this early in the season, I feel like he should experiment more. He should experiment different lineups because of all of these role players that he has. It's better to experiment these early, early, early in the season 
that way we don't come to ACC play like or in the middle of the season and then and we're still trying to figure out which rotation works the best in crunch time situations. Well, and- it's it, it, it's all matchup based, but like I said, uh, if if Khalifa or not Khalifa, if Traore didn't get hurt, the a lineup of having Burns in would be effective. But mm-hmm. it was the fact that they changed it, or the, the, well, not changed it. They were BYU is forced into playing Khalifa, um, because of the injury, and Khalifa was not looking to shoot the ball. So having a guy like Diara on him, even though he's probably got. I mean, Cleveland's probably had 40 more pounds on him. Mm-hmm. It, it still felt like it could have been a plus matchup for us. And, and it would have created more chaos for more turnovers, which is how we got up on them. I mean, I don't know how many, the exact number, but I think we had seven or eight turnovers before the uh, under 12 timeout in the first half in the first eight minutes. And in the second half, we barely forced five turnovers i believe and yep, that, forced, that's our bread and butter 17 yeah we forced 17 and we only committed nine and yet we still lost by nine yeah um and part of that's from them shooting 70 percent in the second half but a lot of that came from i mean good shooting but also poor defensive intensity we weren't rotating we we're allowing a lot of open threes yeah, and they're a good three-point shooting team. I mean, I think in the second half, they were shooting six, oh, almost 60% from three. And, you know, it's it's hard to it, it is hard to beat a team no matter who you are, uh, when you're playing against somebody that's shooting 70%. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that could there's a lot of factors that could go into it as far as, you know, defensive rotations and everything like that. It's just it's it's tough no matter who you are it's tough to maintain a lead when a team is shooting that well and yeah and but also fans need to to realize that although losing sucks it does um BYU is currently ranked 10th in the Ken Palm rankings and I believe they went up to 13 they went from unranked to 13 in the AP poll so they were not a slouch team they were a good team, and yes, it would have been great to get a uh, top 25 quad one win mm-hmm. this early on in the season. Um, they are a solid team who I they think solid. will make a run come March. Yeah, yeah, they'll be on everybody's, I think, dark horse list for sure if they kind of stay where they're at. Well, I think gonna... they – I don't even know if they're – I wouldn't even consider them dark horse because – they could win the Big Twelve. They, I think, they can win the Big Twelve. Yeah, where were they? They were listed. I think they were saying during the game that they were listed at to finish like thirteenth out of fourteen teams. No way. And they'll probably finish in the top three or something. There's crazy. no way they were listed that low. May maybe, but uh, I think first year, first year that. They were just saying first year they're thinking that they're, they're going to finish. Okay. Yeah. With, you know, with, you know, Kansas, Texas, you know, all those guys in that league before them. So first, first year in that conference, I think they didn't have super high hopes for them until the way that they started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're a good team. I mean, there's no, there's no denying it. It's Not, yeah, <laughs> no denying it whatsoever. Um, anything else you want to add uh, from those past three games? Uh, no, I kind of want to forget about forget about the BYU game and <laughs> uh, the other games were games that we should have won and we did. So yeah, yeah. The the last you know couple minutes with all those technical fouls, it was. It was something I I want to forget for a very long time. Well, I was glad that you know Keith's defending his team, got teed up, got thrown out. You know, you like to see that, and I bet the players like to see that that their coach is fighting for them. So that'll make them want to fight for him, um, give an effort on the court, listening to him, trusting him. And yeah, yeah, I can't remember. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I could be totally wrong on this, but now I'm thinking about it. 
has Keith's ever been actually ejected from a game this year, which I'm not this year. No. Um, but in your past, yes. In the past, I I can't, I'm just having a tough time remembering which games he got ejected from. Um, uh, did he get ejected last year against Carolina? No, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I, I didn't research that, but that's something that that is a good question. It'll be a, it'll be interesting to kind of figure out. So just from this recent couple of years, I can't remember if he actually has been ejected in any of them. I know he's, he's picked been, up some I know texts here and there. Yeah, yeah. Every coach is going to pick up a couple of texts here and there, but it I do agree. Him getting ejected is going to light, I think, a fire in our team to show that he's got our backs, and I think we can build off of that and move into this coming week for these uh, next two games. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so now we'll transition into our uh, we're previewing uh, Ole Miss on Tuesday, November 28th, and then Saturday, December 2nd, we have our first ACC game against Boston College at Boston College. These are going to be two big games coming out of the – Las Vegas showdown. And I kind of want to, I'll give you the floor, Thomas, to kind of give us a little preview of uh, what we should expect for Ole Miss. Okay. So Ole Miss is currently five and zero, and, but it's, it's a lot closer than, you know, you'd think you see in a team five and zero. Oh, they're going to be really good. But they, their largest margin of victory is only been 11 points and they haven't really played anybody too notable. Um, they're currently ranked uh, 128 in the Kimhan rankings, which qualifies as a quad two game for the pack. And depending on the rest, how the rest of the season goes, there's a chance that could end up as a quad one, but it's most likely going to end up as a quad three. Um, and this is the this game is the first true road test for the pack. And quad three losses are terrible come selection time for the tournament. So avoiding a loss on mm-hmm. Tuesday would be um it would be massive. Um, uh, key players for them, Alan Flanagan. He's their best player. 6'6 wing. Um, he can shoot pretty well, but most of the time he wants to get to the basket and he wants to go left. Um, he's going to be super active on the on the glass. And um, I would expect uh, Muhammad Diar to be on him most of the night. Uh, you know, he'll match up well with his size. He'll be able to... Uh, you know, contest his drives to the basket, and I think he'll be able to keep him off the glass. Um, and yeah, I mean, limiting him is the biggest thing. Uh, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's definitely going to be their best player, and hopefully, hopefully, Diara's. You know, I you mentioned earlier that he's been you know he was nursing that ankle injury. I'm hoping that by by Tuesday, come Tuesday, he's you know, fully healthy, ready to go, ready to provide a ton of minutes and kind of make sure that we, you know, get off to a fast start and limit uh, Flanagan's uh, uh, impact on the game for sure. Um, I think another person that is probably somebody we should watch out for is uh, Jalen Murray, uh, their point guard. You know, he's only, you know, he's listed at only 5'11". but he's averaging 12 points a game. So another guy in double figures that we'll need to watch out for somebody that could, you know, be a spark for Ole Miss in many other ways, not just in scoring, but facilitating to, you know, the big men and making sure that we limit that as best as we can. Um, DJ Horn, I'm sure, or Jaden Taylor, will going to probably lock him down. And hopefully we force him to make a lot of bad decisions and force a lot of turnovers. And I will say something that I'm really loving about NC State's defense this year is that we're picking up people full court and we're actually slowing people down. We're making them play to the way we want uh, them to play. And we're, no, t- we're, not, 
bad choices on the offensive side. We're not slowing them down. We're actually technically we're speeding but them up. That, but. Um, but because you know they're they're having to take five, six, seven seconds to dribble the ball up the court, they can't get into their offense as quickly. Um, so yeah, technically on the defensive side, we're we're playing, we're slowing them down. We are trying to speed up the game by forcing turnovers and and speed them up running their sets. Right, right. It's a slow, fast combination yeah. where we're not letting people get into their offense until they're at 21 to 20 seconds left in the shot clock, which is essentially. You could only really run one through one, one play. And if you don't get a shot, then you're going into. Uh, just like a pick and roll with five seconds left on the shot clock and you're forcing a bad shot. Yeah. And that's why I think our defense has forced so many turnovers too. People are rushing to, you know, get a shot off that they're not thinking and then we'll end up stealing the ball from them. So I love, I love how we're doing that uh, to our opponents. Um, anybody else that we kind of want to highlight on? Yeah. Stuff? I've got, a, I've got a couple more. Um, I'll briefly talk about Matthew Morell. Um, 6'4 guard who's pretty active on the glass, but he likes to shoot a ton of shots. Um, shoot averaging 14 points, about 40% shooting. Um, but one thing about him is that when he gets the ball, he's not gonna pass it. Uh, I think he averages less than uh, an assist a game. Um, but then my one of my bigger concerns, other than Alan Flanagan, is Jamarian Sharp. He's listed at seven foot five with a seven seven a, wingspan. That's not a typo, guys. That's it's seven seven foot five. Foot five. Um, he's only 237 pounds, but so DJ Burns will have the strength advantage, but I feel that the the sheer length is gonna hinder Burns' effectiveness in the post. Um Sharp only plays about 20 minutes a night, and they like to go small ball. Um, so the guy guarding DJ in the, in their small ball lineup will be, uh, Jamin Breakfield. Uh, he's a Duke transfer, six foot eight, uh, 225 pounds, I believe. So he doesn't, he doesn't have the physicality, um, that Burns possesses. So I expect them to double team, uh, DJ a lot. Um, and DJ's got to take care of the ball. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, Hope that the length of Jabarian Sharp doesn't play a huge factor, and DJ's able to use his his uh body to you know just back him under the hoop and get up a shot. But I I think it's going to be difficult, difficult, difficult night for DJ. Mm-hmm. I looked at um Sharp's minutes from their one point win against Temple. I think he only played about nineteen minutes. Um, I'm trying to look at other his other minutes. I don't know if he's you know playing all game. I mean, at that height, I don't feel like you could be. No, they they normally he normally play plays all. a lot in the first half. Um, and then in the second half, he he'll, he'll play about twelve minutes in the first half, and then about eight in the second half. Um, I don't know if that'll change against us, but I I think they're actually going to want to play small more than having him in the game. Um. Because of they saw what uh, BYU did to us, double teaming DJ in the second half, forcing some mm-hmm. turnovers, forcing some bad shots, um, and yeah, yeah. I think a big key to the game will be our defense, and if they throw it into that, if they throw it into Sharp, in oh no, he, he game, doesn't touch the ball. He does not touch the ball. I mean, he's just probably that you know rebounder guy that will. Yeah, he's he's looking to get second chances trying to dunk the ball um he's a pretty good lob threat um he's not the most uh you know athletic in terms of his jumping ability but i mean having a seven foot seven wingspan you can go up and get anything exactly so we got to have at least probably two people boxing out on him at all times in order for us to make sure we you know prevent second third chance opportunities mm-hmm. yeah i think a definitely definite key to that game is going to be you know, I think limiting um, limiting the paint touches and you know limiting you know free throw attempts because um, look at looking at here it's it's sh- it's showing about seventy percent of uh, their possessions are you know a shot in, in that paint and so if we can force them to make tougher shots outside of that 
I think we can live with that because they're not going to be hitting like BYU did. And I think we mm-hmm. can, if we can limit that and um, limit the amount of times that they go, get to the free throw line and get those free points. I think that'll be a big key to the game and making sure that we, you know, solidify a dub. Uh, yeah. They average about 20 free throw attempts a game. Uh, Flanagan, their best player averages about eight of those. So yeah, keeping, and most of those are coming off of offensive rebounds and going back up, getting fouled. Um, and yeah, I mean, keeping him off the glass, off the free throw line, big key to the game. Um, but this game is a great opportunity for us, you know, to go on the road and start building some momentum heading into conference play. Like I said earlier, this game will most likely end up being a quad three game. Um, so we really need to take care of business. Um, they're five and zero on the year, <clears throat> on the year, and so it's going to be a loud environment. Just got to take care of the ball. Limit Flanagan's impact, and I like our chances. Mm-hmm. And I know you've said it plenty of times before, but we need to establish DJ Burns early, and we need to make sure he gets the ball closer to the basket because if we do that, they'll eventually, you know, they'll eventually double him just like BYU did and just like other teams have throughout the year. And He's just not he might not be able to get a pass off or, you know, get a good good look off to the basket. And so making sure that we get him as close to the basket basket as we can, especially when Sharp isn't in the game. You know, it's going to be huge for us to get him a, a, some easy buckets down there. Mm-hmm. And then like we were saying earlier, I, I would like Keats, especially in this game, when they go small ball to think about the lineup of with. Uh, Dr. at the five and um, Parker in the game at the four. I, I would I would love to see some of that. All right, so now we're going to transition into uh, our preview of Boston College on Saturday, December second. First ACC game of the year. A lot of hype is going to go into that game. Obviously, we can't overlook the Ole Miss game but we need to make sure that we start off ACC play strong and we, we need, we need this win. I mean, I, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm going to overemphasize it to the point where, you know, last year we took care of business in Boston college. Granted, we shot the ball amazing, but this year it's probably not going to be anything like that. It's going to be a lot tougher and, you know, Boston College is a is they're they're solid team this year. They did have a close win against the Citadel, just like we did. So, you know, we have that kind of in common. But I will say, you know, Boston College is not a team to be overlooked like they might have been last year. Uh, I, I don't know if you agree, Tom, but it's gonna it's definitely gonna be a must must win game. Uh, oh yeah, um, ACC. Well, not only the ACC, because, you know, every game counts. If we're looking to, well, I'm looking forward to being in the top four come tournament time, come mm-hmm. ACC tournament time. Would be so nice. if, we're, if we're going to do that and, and our goal to be at least get that double buy, then these are the games we have to win. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Earl Grant, the head coach, nor- normally the BC teams are very physical, well-coached. Um, they're currently four and two on the four and two on the year. They started four and zero, lost their last two. Um, they play Vanderbilt, I believe, on Tuesday. Maybe I play I it's on Tuesday. Wednesday. It might no. be Wednesday, actually. It's Tuesday or Wednesday because all the SEC, ACC, SEC challenge games are Tuesday or Wednesday. Eleven, um, eleven twenty nine. So Wednesday, yeah. Okay, Wednesday. So we'll have like a good barometer to what it, what to expect going into uh, Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. BC currently is 118 in the Kempon rankings. So again, currently that's a quad two game for us, but depending on how well BC finishes, that could drop into the quad three range. So not only is it a must win for ACC standings, I think it's a must win for for tournament, for uh, the uh, NCAA tournament. And the biggest, the absolute biggest and when i mean biggest he's a seven foot senior uh quentin post averaging 21 points nine rebounds three assists on 
this is the most incredible part of this 52% from the field, 48% from three and 91% from the line from a seven footer. And he is 100% their best player. Two games against the Wolfpack in his career, which was this year and last year, he's averaging 19 points or not or last year and the year before he's averaging 19 points on 90% shooting. 90. 90. Yes. He has missed <laughs> two shots going 19 for 21 in two games against us. Again, I'd expect us to uh, establish DJ early. And if they don't double DJ, DJ needs to go right at him. We need to draw some fouls on this guy and get him out of the game because he is their key to victory. Yeah, I mean, he literally, he's the white Kevin Durant averaging 50-40-90 in college. Almost 50-50-90. Almost 50-50-90, which is absurd. And, and, and you know, 48% of three, you might be thinking, oh, he's got limited attempts. No, he averages four threes attempted a game. That like That is crazy numbers crazy numbers yeah he's yeah he's making that's just insane just on a high volume it's not like it's a it's a like two a game and he's going one for two basically every game no he's shooting four he's averaging four attempts averaging four attempts yeah that's that's something that could get out of hand really quickly if you don't especially well especially with dj you know not being the quickest on the perimeter we have to be very aware of him very aware. I mean, he he is the focal point of that of that team, and if we can get him, st- if we can stop or just even slow him down and make somebody team. else beat us, make somebody yeah, else. That's beat the whole us. point. That's the whole point. You know, there's there's five guys out there. You're not going to lose to one person. You got to figure out who else can you know step up. It's and, not just going to be one guy. And that's the thing because. At least at this point in the year, um, the only other three-point threat um, in their starting lineup is Claudel Harris Jr., um, a guard, six foot three transfer from Charleston Southern. Mm-hmm. He averaged about seventeen points a game last year, and he really likes to shoot three, um, averaging about uh, five, almost six attempts a year. Um, he's a very very capable scorer, but he's a guy who's not going to look to pass the ball. Um, he's not even averaging a assist a game. Um, but then other than him, guys like Jaden Zachary, who's averaging 12 points, um, but he's not been shooting the ball great. I think he's, I think he's under 11% from three. I think he's about 11% from three this year, mm. which last year he was a capable shooter about uh, 35%. But like, they don't really have many guys who are going to shoot the ball at a high clip other than post. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just need to make sure that, you know, they, they know where post is. I mean, he's pretty hard to miss, but you know where post is at all times, but in the end of the day, making sure that those other guys aren't getting easy buckets to, to the basket because we're so focused on post. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big thing that we you know need to make sure on our half court defense that we don't lose sight of sight of that. Um, you know we have you know two other players on their team, um, Devin McLaughlin and Prince Alligby. A league bay, a league bay. Oof, I butchered, I butchered that so bad. Um, but they're very uh, similar to one another who kind of want to get to the basket. Um, you know, and they're going to be those guys that, you know, go crash the glass on both ends and they, they're going to be a threat as far as, you know, wanting to get to that basket where I talked about earlier, not focusing so much at posts near the three point line, you know, making sure we do have an eye on him, but not letting people beat us back door, get into the basket time and time again. Um, cause they're not strong three point shooters themselves. I think both below 20%. So Hopefully, maybe maybe we're looking at Muhammad Diara, you know, taking taking on McLaughlin, um, trying to make sure that he doesn't, you know, go anywhere that we don't want him to, keeping him keeping him pushed out towards the three point line and not getting any of his buckets easy uh, towards the basket. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
and the reason the reasoning behind wanting probably wanting DR on McLaughlin is he he is the better three point shooter of the two between him and Malik Bay, albeit twenty percent. Um, but he normally hangs around around the basket looking for offensive rebounds. Um, so having Diara on him will allow us to double post when he gets the ball in the post. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't <laughs> want DJ to get into foul trouble. Um, so I think, you know, doubling him, doubling post, make him get the ball up and let someone else beat us. Um, yeah, he's, he post is definitely a willing passer, similar to what, how DJ is in the post, but it's not the same. Whereas when DJ kicks out, kicks out to Casey for an open three, kicks out to Taylor for an open three, kicks out to um, Horn for an open three. We have guys who are super efficient three point shooters. Right. Um, so it's not super worrisome if, you know, we give up an open three to McLaughlin or, or League Bay. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean they're not gonna you know, they're not gonna kill us all night. I no. mean, get one or two whoop de doo kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's it's and Elite Bay this year has turned down a decent amount of those threes that teams have been daring him to take, and he's been going into the mid range. But a, a long two is still not a good shot. That's known as like the worst shot, right? The worst shot in basketball. Yeah. So, right. Just do not let post beat us. Don't. And, you know, Keats is not a big zone guy. So the only other option to limiting a guy like that is to double him. Mm-hmm. Um, should be, should be interesting how Keats kind of takes that challenge on and what his approach to that all is. Um, do you have any kind of keys for the game? Like any insights or things that we should kind of focus on going into this game besides obviously, you know, doubling Quentin posts and everything. Um, yeah. I mean, just playing our game, uh, BC likes to slow the game down. They like to get into their offense, which is either a dribble drive motion offense. Um, uh, that's most of their sets, but if they run a, a set play, it's going to post whether it's in a, a ball down low or a pick and pop three. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see us, you know, try and speed them up, get, get out in transition. Um, they average about 12 turnovers a game. I think we can get that number up to 16, 16 to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is um, we got to rebound the ball. Uh, BC, the three guys post averaging about nine mug thing, averaging about six. And um, a league bay averaging about five. Uh, we need to limit their second chance opportunities because they are an inefficient offense, and we cannot let them have more opportunities to score. Um, and another thing, like my last thing, is that their coach Earl Grant is a great X's and O coach. Um, and I expect him to do something different on the defensive end. They may mostly run man, but just like we want uh, post to be in foul trouble, they want DJ Burns to be in foul trouble. So I would expect to see some, some type of zone at some point during the game. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all that. I mean, rebounding, you know, we got out rebounded by BYU, I think 40 to 29. Granted, it wasn't really on, I mean, there was not a whole, disparity as far as the offensive rebound i think they beat us eight to six or something like that mm-hmm. but but it's true i mean rebounding is is a key especially when you've got that seven foot guy and you've got you've got these other guys that want to crash the glass and are willing to put their bodies on the line to make sure that they get that offensive or defensive board you know if we can find a way to maneuver around that not in just this BC game, but I think also in that old, in the Ole Miss game is if we can limit the amount of offensive rebounds that we give up, I think that will go a long way into making us successful in these next two games. Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna be a true test for sure. Oh yeah, two first two true road games of the year. Both seem. I mean, I hate calling it must wins, but. 
losing one could be the difference between making the tournament, the NCAA tournament, and not making the NCAA tournament. So Right. And, you know, I think our mindset should be go into every game thinking it's a must win. Yeah. And in Ole Miss is, is interesting for me because they're a team that I think can jump into that quad one range. Um, I don't think BC has the ceiling to, or like the explosive mm-hmm. players to do it other than post. I think, you know, Ole Miss is more well-rounded as a team. Um, so yeah, we, we could pick up a quad one game come tournament time, which would be massive. That would be huge. We would, we would definitely need that. It'd be looking great on our resume. Um, yeah. Anything else, uh, Tom, you want to talk about in the, uh, from these games or leading up to these games or, uh, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, other than I think we need to shout out our women's team, but I think you can do the honors killing it, man. I mean, beating Colorado on Saturday. I mean, they beat Colorado on Saturday. We beat Carolina on Saturday. I mean, life is good, man. Yeah, being a state fan is feel, feeling good, but it's feeling good right now. We never know what's gonna happen in the next couple of weeks, but we'll see. No, I mean, but we yeah. love love we love how Westmore's doing um with his squad. We're we're doing good. They are they have made a full 180 from last year's team. I don't it is something to watch. And you know, I mean, beating two top ten teams for seven games, it's it's looking great for them. Looking great. We're 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 very happy for them, and we'll continue to support them all year long. Um, well, uh, guys, thank you for listening uh, to another episode of the Howlin' Hoops podcast. Um, tune in uh, whenever we do this next. We'll probably do it after the Boston College game. We'll kind of give you our thoughts and takes on that game and the uh, Ole Miss game as well. But we appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we really love the support, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next time, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah.